0: This is Truth Encounter, and today's study from Deuteronomy chapter 1 is going to teach us how to recruit a powerful team instead of trying to do everything ourselves. Moses suffered from the same misconception a lot of us struggle with. We think we are God's only agent capable of fulfilling His assignment. Stay with us for the next few minutes. As Dave Wortson teaches us how to escape the burden of only a few who carry the load. These minutes could save you a nervous breakdown in the ministry. Maybe some of you have been teaching Sunday school for the last 60 years. Never a break, no Sunday morning break. Have you ever felt, it's too heavy for me, the burden is too great. It's easy to feel there's a few that will do it. You see, we live in the day of the few who do it, and everyone else watches. Very few of you are going to get knocked around. Very few of you are going to get bruised. Very few of you are going to get cut. Very few of you are going to get your bell rung. But all of you are going to enjoy, you'll get a nice Diet Coke, so you can drink six of them instead of one, and you'll get your feet set up, and you will, if you've got a big screen TV, you can almost get in the stadium with the players. And you can hear the, <clears throat> man, you can, you can hear the hitting, you can feel the crunch. In fact, you can almost experience the whole thing, except for one difference. It's easy. You're just sitting there comfortably. You didn't have to go to spring training and run. You didn't have to have Coach Cuss at you and probably a lot of other things. You also don't get paid a million dollars to do it. (laughs) But what I want you to understand is that it's rapidly and it's really infecting churches across the United States. And there's there's going to be a need for a tremendous moving of the Spirit of God and probably tremendous changes of structure because the few cannot bear the burden. I want to share something with you. Not just in our church, but in churches across the United States, the generation that is giving their lives and giving themselves the commitments is being called home to glory. My generation and the generation below me believe it needs to be Really excellent. It needs to be a great performance. It needs to be a good show. It needs to meet some deep felt needs that I have. And I will give to make that happen until something else catches my fancy. And the burden's becoming too great. And what I want to share with you the answer, the answer is not. For a few to do a lot it's for a whole lot to do what the Lord wants them to do and I want you to really get a hold of that I want you to get a hold of not on a guilt trip but as someone that loves you I want to share with you that the greatest the greatest most exciting thrills that I've had in life have not been when I sit in my easy chair it hasn't been that it hasn't been when I vicariously watched someone else. It's when I put on the uniform myself, when I got involved myself. And I also want to say when I speak like this, the tendency of when we speak about the burden that Moses was feeling, the few that, were that, that they were trying to carry this burden they couldn't carry it anymore, those that listen, those that listen the most, those that have such a tender heart, towards the Holy Spirit, those are the ones that really respond to what I'm saying. and I don't want you to respond. I have a different message for you that are carrying too heavy a load. My message for you is stop carrying it all. Don't try to carry it all. Get some help. So I don't want you to listen to me. But I want to talk to all of you that you, you feel like, you know, I'm not really sure this is my thing. This body of believers is yours. It's not a group of men. a group of elders and deacons. It's not a a small group of of elderly ladies. It's It's not any particular group. It's you. What happens or doesn't happen, it's all of us together. And that's what the body of Christ, that's what the New Testament speaks about. It says by amazing grace, all of us can come in to the family. And Moses was a leader. Moses was a leader that was saying the burden is too great. And he goes on and talks like this. He he said, the burden's too heavy for me. Verse 10, the Lord your God has increased your numbers so that today you are as many as the stars of the sky. That's the fulfillment of what promise? It's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise. And all that should say, praise the Lord. It was a miracle. It's incredible. God took Abraham who didn't have any kids, And God enabled him to miraculously have the promised child Isaac. And now an even greater miracle has taken place. And now there are thousands, millions that are in this nation. And think of the miracle of the modern world where all over the world you find Jewish people. God blessed the children of Israel with an increase in numbers. And that's why the burden had become great. Now I want to tell you something. Emotionally and psychologically, there will be tremendous pulls to not increase in numbers. You know why? Because you'll feel like I've got my seat Sunday morning. You know, and I'm sure it's right there at exactly the same place, same time, I'm ready. And I can get in my sleeping bag and boy, you know, the teaching of the Word makes me feel really, really good. And we've done what we could. And I want to share with you, as soon as you begin to think like that, you're beginning to die spiritually. Because think of the message, think of the good news that we have. Think of the promised land that I've been describing to you, and I'm really talking to myself. You see, a church family that doesn't have a vision to reach out is a family that's dead. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to move in many of your hearts to give incredibly creative ways to how we can reach people with the gospel. And the Lord wants us to increase the numbers. There's going to be people from all over the world that we can touch. And it's very important for us. You see, the Lord Jesus in the book of Acts, chapter 1 says, you will be witnesses to me in your hometown, in the surrounding area, and then ultimately the uttermost parts of the earth. And it's, it has to do with deep things inside of our life. Do we reach out? Do we talk to them? Do we love them? I heard about a guy, a dear old man in church, that stood up one day, and right in the service says, "Man, we need to really, we need to really touch base with visitors. We need to really try to meet their needs." And boy, I don't think you're doing it. There was a visitor sitting to a couple right behind him. The couple said later that the man never turned around and said boo to them. You see, that's how it's easy for us to talk, but it's what we do in our spirit and what we do all through the week. It's so easy for a church family to begin to just kind of coast and relax and to covet their own position. Where there's many that feel, the few will do it. And I want to share with you from the depths of my heart, the few are too tired. And when people get too tired, they throw off the whole burden. And there's some of you that are recuperating. And I want you to feel very free to do so. You've been in families of believers where you took the whole load and you tried to carry it for many, many years, almost all by yourself. And eventually you reached the point you just couldn't carry it anymore and you just broke and you just had to get away. And I want you to feel very free to rest and to let the good shepherd nestle you and comfort you and meet your need. But I believe that there's some others there who the Holy Spirit's working in your heart. And he's saying, you need to get involved. You need to get involved all the way up to your armpits. And you need to really shoulder the harness and help carry the load. And together, together, it's an incredible thing what God can do when God's people act in concert. Now Moses went on and realized something very important. He said the people have increased in numbers. The Old Testament people of God Increase in numbers, the New Testament people of God. In Acts 2, 3,000 people got saved. In the next few chapters, 5,000 got saved. And you had an exploding body of believers. So there was an increase in numbers of God's Old Testament people and in his New Testament people. Increase in numbers isn't unspiritual. Verse 11 says this, May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousand times and bless you as he has promised. But how can I bear your problems? How can I bear your burdens? How can I bear your disputes all by myself? Now, that is the model. That is the model of the traditional church. Now, here it's being applied to God's Old Testament people. When the children of Israel came out of deliverance in Egypt and they were delivered from slavery, they went up through the desert, came around to Mount Sinai. The book of Exodus tells us that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came to him. And Jethro came to Moses and all day long Jethro watched Moses and hundreds of people came and talked to Moses and Moses heard every single one of them. Every single, every single problem, every single dispute, he heard them all. At the end of the day, in fact, moving to the next day, Jethro said, Moses, we've really got a problem here. And Moses said, what are you talking about? And Jethro said, I recognize that you really want to meet the needs of these people. You really want to serve them. You really want to to help them to become godly people. But he said, Moses, you know what? The way that you're doing it right now, you're going to break. And the people are going to break because they're going to get angry with you because there's no way that you can meet all these people's needs. And then he suggested something very, very wise. It's the same suggestion that Moses alludes to here. He says... Choose some wise, understanding, and respected men from each of your tribes, and I will set them over you. And you answered me, what you propose to do is good. So I took the leading men of your tribes, wise and respected men, and I appointed them to have authority over you as commanders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and as tribal officials. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the disputes between your brothers and Judge fairly." What we have here is the principle of sharing responsibility. It's very important for us to realize that a one-man show is not really the biblical way in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. Some of you have been raised in church families where the pastor did everything. If someone was in the hospital, you could guarantee the pastor would be there every single time, from the moment that you went in to the moment that you left, several times. If there was a counseling need, you could guarantee you could call that person, and they would be right there. You could guarantee that they would just be right at the beck and call of the entire church family. That's the traditional way that it was done. It's kind of like the the country doctor who's on a house call, and they're very good days to remember. But I want to share something with you. I want to share with you what happens to someone that does that. I talk to pastors all the time. You know what they're saying? I can hardly wait. Slowly but surely, I'm trying to put just a little bit of money away. I can barely do it, but I try to get just a little bit of money away because as soon as I get anywhere close to Social Security age, I'm gone out of this. Now that's sick. You know what's happening? It's a guy that's pulling too hard. He's carrying too much of a load. I talk to older ministry, ministers that have been in, in this for 50 years. And they say, David, as I look back over the years, I hate it. When they're honest, they say, I hate it. Now that's sad. That's really, really sad. And I want you to know from the depths of my heart, I get really, really tired. And there's times where, sure, emotionally, I feel like, man, I don't want to carry it anymore, but I want to share something with y'all. I love the ministry today much more than I did when I first started out with y'all. And you know why? Because you've been willing to understand and to perceive what Moses understood when his Jethro gave him some good advice. You've been willing to not make me be your judge in all your disputes, your counselor in all of your needs. You haven't made me just totally be at all your beck and call. The Word of God wants you to realize that He has a very wise plan and there are others that can meet your need. That's the principle that's at work in this text. And I want you to pray really hard about it because we're not really there to what the New Testament wants us to have. You see, this text envisions a people of God who choose from themselves people that have, that have these characteristics. They're wise. They've experienced some of life. They've processed the information that they've received. They have known and learned how to apply it skillfully. and they are now ready to share that wisdom with others. And they were chosen by the people of Israel to be like a judge in their midst. If there was a a legal dispute, if you were working on your farm and, and somebody broke one of your tools and you got in a real fight over who was responsible to pay for it, you would go to one of these godly men maybe a group of them, and they would solve the dispute for you. And I want all of you to begin to think like this, and I want you to understand something. I believe in the long run that if we can really get a hold of what it means to have wise, discerning, respected leaders, if we can get a hold of that and we can learn to take advantage of that, we can save ourselves untold agony. I've shared with you in the past and i share with you it again. Nobody should ever end up, no two believers should ever end up in the county courthouse, ever. You say, why not? Because God says that two believers shouldn't go to law against one another. You say, well, what do I do? You should call for some of the leadership. And you should all come before them and get them to listen to your case. You say, man, that's, that'll never work. If you don't think it'll work, go to the county courthouse. I was there on Monday. They're just people down there. Some of them are believers, some of them are not. But they're just people, just normal human beings. I want to share something else in that courthouse. Nobody ever swore on the Bible. Nobody ever looked to God for anything because we now live in a country where you're not supposed to do that anymore. I think we need to really understand the implications of that. Deuteronomy goes on and tells us something very important about the way that you have fair judgment. Notice what it says here. I want you to see something. It says, And I have charged them, in verse 16, I have charged your judges at that time. Hear the disputes between your brothers. Judge fairly, whether the case is between brother Israelites or between one of them and an alien. Do not show partiality. Don't even look at their face. The idea is don't don't recognize someone and then if you know them well, if they're powerful, they're rich, then you give them a different deal than you would if you didn't know them. Do not show partiality in judgment. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of any man. Those that are making the judgments need to not be afraid. If someone has a lot of money, someone's paying all the bills in the church family, apply it to the New Testament church. If there's someone that's paying all the bills in the church family, and a case comes up, and a decision has to be made, It says, even if all of their giving goes out the window, you judge right. You think that doesn't happen? A friend of mine out in East Texas. When he first started in the ministry, a man came to him and and gave him the money to build his house, was paying the contractors and the builders as they built. They came to the chapter in Genesis, Genesis 9, where you have that weird story of Noah getting drunk, and then his son. Ham came in and laughed at his daddy, and then the other two boys, Shem and Japheth, backed up and covered their daddy with a a garment and treated him with respect. And then you have a passage which is called The Curse Against Canaan. And in a discussion, this man that had given my friend the money said, you see there, there will be no blacks in our church because they're under the curse of God. And my friend said, wait a minute. It doesn't say anything at all about blacks in this text. In the flow of the Old Testament, it speaks about the Canaanites. And the Canaanites are the ones that, it wasn't because there was some kind of a weird genealogical curse upon them. They just partook of this character of lewdness, of immorality. And God, like we learn in our text today, gave them 400 years to repent. And they didn't do it. The text has a lot to do with a judgment that's already taken place against a people that God tried to show mercy to and they wouldn't respond. It had nothing to do with the color of their skin. It had nothing to do with with that kind of genealogical, genetic inheritance. It had a whole lot to do with their ethics inside. My friend talked like that. My friend, the millionaire said, if that's the way you think, you can forget it. You either change your mind or forget your house. My friend got up before that church family and told them, at that, that time everyone knew what was going on. It was just a brand new church family, a very small body of believers. My friend got up and said, I want you to know that I love you. And I want you to know that I'm committed to the authority of God's inspired word. And I'm going to be here in this town. I'm going to stay here. But we're going to have to decide right now Whether this word, carefully talked about and carefully prayed over, and then carefully interpreted under the Holy Spirit's guidance, is going to be our authority, or whether our traditions or our upbringing or whatever you might want to throw in is going to be our rule. The Lord worked in a mighty way, the millionaire left. And it looked like everything was going to go, you know, from my friend into destruction, but it didn't. Because the Spirit did a mighty work in that man's life. And today, that's a thriving church family. And that man came back in and bowed to the authority of the Bible. We need, in our church family, and in church families across the United States as American believers, we need to start understanding what it means that judgment Belongs to God. You see, I'm not expecting. I want to make something really clear. I'm not expecting the unbelieving world to believe that judgment belongs to God. In other words, that we contemplated drunk driving case, and I didn't get chosen as a as a juror, kind of by the luck of the draw, the way it worked out. I don't think I'd ever would anyway, because of my brother in law David being killed by a drunk driver. But you know what they said again and again. The purpose of this court is to decide whether or not this individual was driving under the influence of alcohol to the point that mentally and physically they were impaired or whether their blood alcohol level was 0.01 or whatever that legal limit is. I think that's it. 10. is what it comes out on this scale. He said, that's your whole thing. Now... They went on and said this. The legislature in Austin has decided that that's the law. And that was the final court of appeal. The legislature in Austin, you are not to decide whether it's right or wrong to drive drunk or not. The legislature in Austin has decided what the law is. Now, there's truth in that. But I want to ask another question. How does the legislature in Austin know that it's even wrong to drive and hurt somebody? Why is it wrong to hurt somebody? If we're just all just animals and we all just are here by chance and if I want to go out and get totally smashed, if somebody gets in my way while I'm driving home, who cares? Another fly bites the dust. Now that's not what I believe at all, but I want you to understand that based upon the thinking, they'll vote on it in, in Austin and that'll determine the law. What's underneath that law? What's underneath that law is that for years in our nation, there has been an idea man is made in the image of God. Man isn't just an animal. And it's God that determines all that, but what I want you to begin to see as a group of believers, if there's no God in the courtroom, then the authority just becomes either, either somebody that's voting, and eventually it will become one single person that's deciding. Because out of the anarchy that will flow from trying to get a vote in everything, when there's no dependence upon an ultimate God, eventually there's anarchy, and out of anarchy comes a dictator that says, I'm going to be God. You say, Dave, what can I do about it? Go public for God. You know, we've got, like, Bob's a Christian lawyer. The Lord calls Bob, he says, Bob, go public for God. If you're a Christian doctor, go public for God. If you're a Christian auto worker, go public for God. You see, we live in a free country. Still, go public for God. Begin to think about how, how all these things fit together. What it means for us today, you can't go public for God by yourself. You need togetherness. I can't stand alone. Man, the, the world blows me right down. You can't stand alone, but together. We can stand. What we need to learn is, we need to ask ourselves, where am I headed? Who am I going with? And who am I asking for guidance along the way?